Hello, wine family, and welcome to Sci Stories. I'm Armando, your host, and today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Elise and Ken Nurlove from Elkhorn Peak Cellars. And one of Elise's passions is pet nat, which is absolutely amazing. So hopefully you enjoy that. And Ken loves slot machines not just regular slot machines but antique ones and you know he's just very knowledgeable handy all around the property and we hope you enjoyed the conversation cheers um today we're at elkhorn peak cellars with ken and elise um you know we're just kind of talking about save the family farms and your wine, I understand that you're known for Pinot and Chardonnay, and I think you made some Pet Nat that I was trying to get my hands on, but I saw that it was sold out. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, we, we have more coming. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, well, why don't we start with you since you, I mean, I think you founded the property. Yeah. Um, so we've been growing grapes out here in Jameson Canyon for uh, almost 40 years now. Uh, specialize in, in Pinot Noir. We're a typical small Napa Valley grower producer. Uh, we have a, a 28 acre ranch, eight acres of grapes, Pinot Noir, all estate grown. Our production level is about a thousand cases of wine. So we really focus on uh, small lot production, quality wines, and things like that. And Elise, uh, my daughter, uh, has uh, become very passionate about the wine industry and decided to make that her profession. So we're teaming up on this. She's bringing new marketing ideas uh, to the way we do things, learning the farming aspect and all that. And um, we're just having a great time doing it. It's really involved into a very um, passionate family business now, and we're just kind of moving on through and enjoying it and kind of taking care of things that way. Very cool. And then, um, so you're in charge of the, the marketing side a little bit? Yeah, so I follow my dad around the vineyard. He's teaching me everything he knows about grape growing, which is awesome. And um, other than that, yeah, I handle all the marketing and sales. I manage the wine club, and I'm training to take over as winemaker. Huh, interesting. So what, uh, what kind of led you, I mean, with the wine industry there's so much things you can do you can do like soil stuff vineyard stuff winemaking stuff science stuff what kind of drove you to the winemaking side well with the small business it's sort of all hands on deck in yeah, you do it all, all areas <laughs> so um you know we're really small production i mean eight acres is manageable uh it doesn't take up all your time it takes up all your time in the springtime and in the fall but <laughs> between you have some time to focus on winemaking and I've been fortunate enough you know I follow the grapes from bud break through bottling so I just kind of show up where I need to be for the business I think less about what I'm doing in terms of like I'm at, I'm in the winery now and more just what needs to be done next steps to get this product ready to enjoy you know, Armando, I think that uh, one of the things about um, being a small producer in the Valley, um, it's you, like Elise said, you got to wear all the hats. Right. Um, we have to be very careful about how we spend our money. Um, so, for example, uh, when we farm, this is just kind of my style, 
Um, you know, I use older tractors, older equipment. I fix them, wrench them, modify them myself. We make do. We, our whole focus is on, you know, growing quality grapes. And um, sometimes if I've got to be <clears throat> out in the shop at 12 o'clock at night fixing the sprayer to get it to work the next day, it's what I do. So you have to be very resourceful. Um, you have to be up for any challenges that uh, the farming operation uh, may send your way. Um, and then, of course, there's the winemaking process. And then probably the most important thing about this business, uh, which most people don't understand, is marketing. Uh, I mean, you can come here, you can grow fantastic grapes, you can make fantastic wine. But at the end of the day, you have to successfully penetrate the market and sell that wine and that is a really tall order in so, napa valley there's 1700 yeah. registered wineries yikes so tough business yeah. a lot of wine yeah i so, mean you making good wine is a qualifier to be in the napa valley if you're not making good wine your brand's yeah. not going to last very long anyways yeah but once you make good wine it's how do you get it noticed how do you get yeah. it into the customer's hands so they can enjoy it and subscribe to your business model. That's true. Yeah. And that's the, yeah. that's the, that's the task. That's the right. task. Yeah. I mean, 40 years is a long time. And yeah. then, I mean, you see that also with the restaurant industry, you know, so many restaurants pop in and out and if they're not making, you know, the quality that the Napa Valley is able to produce, like the, all the competition, I mean, you just see them close back down. Standards yeah, uh, are yeah. pretty high in the Napa Valley. Exactly. Yeah. You've got to really step up, and especially in the restaurant business, you get one shot. If you don't make it, you're gone yeah. on that. So. Being resourceful is your number one strength as oh, a yeah. small producer. I mean, you got to be able to make do with what you have, and you got to be able to, I mean, use older equipment, uh, build things yourself. Um, I use a lot of gravity <laughs> to filter yes. wines, you know, sure. stuff like that, because uh, pumps are expensive. Yeah. Equipment in the winery is expensive. And, you know, if you just use enough creativity <laughs> and natural resources, you can make some pretty fantastic wine, but it does take a lot of creative thinking and resourceful thinking for sure. I love that. Do you use, uh, like when you're siphoning, when you're racking and yeah. stuff, do you mm -hmm. use uh, gravity? Yep. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I love, you know, the whole, um, you know, the gravity um, aspect of wine. You can do so much with it. And, you know, it's, I don't know why people don't use it. You know, I think it falls into like the winery design. It's labor intensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't use it for um, our bigger production stuff. And when I say bigger production, I'm talking just a couple hundred cases, but I use gravity <laughs> for my pet nat, you know, things mm -hmm. that fall below the 100 case threshold in production, um, just because, I mean, just economics, the cost yeah. to use the winery equipment is, doesn't pay for itself unless you're making, you know, a couple hundred cases. And if it works, why not use it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It works well. It works uh -huh. really well. Cool. Keeps uh, you strong, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. For some of our listeners that don't know what PetNet is, can you kind of go over that winemaking aspect and yeah. how you make it and any problems that you had with it? Yeah, PetNet's my passion project, personally. So before okay. I came home to work with the family business, I worked at Gloria Ferrer. Uh, big famous sparkling wine house in Sonoma and I really fell in love with sparkling wine there so when I came home and after a couple years working in the business just helping out where I could 
I started to ask my dad if I can have some grapes to play with, and he's very generous. Yeah, gave me. Oh yeah, yeah, take them. Take them all. <laughs> uh, and I, I knew I wanted to make a pet nat. So first vintage I made with a, a few friends of mine in the wine industry, and we made a sparkling wine to serve at my wedding. Oh nice. Fun. And um, it, the pet nat style is essentially you bottle the wine while it's still actively fermenting. Mm -hmm. The byproduct of fermentation is carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is bubbles. Bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> so you bottle it while it's fermenting and it finishes fermentation in the bottle and creates a natural spritz. Huh. Yeah. So at the yeah. at the wedding though, we cut so many compliments, more compliments on the wine than on our union. So I knew I was onto something. So the next uh, vintage, we made our first commercial vintage. And so this year is going to be our second commercial vintage of Pet Nat. First year sold out in 30 days. Yeah. Uh, really micro production. Uh, this year we upped our production a little bit to 50, 60 cases. And I hope it's as well received this year as it was last year. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. delicious. It's I think yeah. this is the best vintage yet. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it too, and I'm not really a sparkling type of guy, but I, it's a it's a nice, refreshing, you know, sparkling wine, a little bit different, but mm -hmm. quite quite tasteful. Yeah. Huh. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a review right there, golden five stars. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard guy to impress. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really cool. It's um, because I think we tried making some last harvest and. Um, you know, because we weren't really sure, like, when, when do you, um, you know, cap it? And, you know, and then by the time we were done, a couple of the bottles were, like, blowing up left and right. Yeah. So I, That's you know, part of the finesse of making a pet nat, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Huh. Well, I think, you know, like, 40 years that you've been here, I mean, that's, like, congrats. That's, like, a really long time. And, you know, I'm interested to hear, like, what your story was be before coming to Napa and then, you know, kind of the evolution from Napa to where we are today? Um, I grew up in the Bay Area and I've always been kind of an outdoor type guy. Okay. Uh, in my previous life, I actually was working in financing, in the banks doing uh, financing. And uh, I remember I'd always be sitting in my office kind of looking out the windows thinking, yeah, I'd really rather be outside. Um, but I was doing my thing and all that kind of stuff. And then when um, our second child was born after Elise, my son, uh, I made a deal with my wife. She kind of was anxious to get back to work. And I said, well, I'll stay home and raise our son, Lucas. And that way I can, you know, be at home. So I quit my job and I came up here. Well, we lived up here, but I started really uh, growing the grapes, doing the thing and started the winery and did all that. And I really uh, was a lot more happier doing what I was doing outside. Mm, yeah. uh, there was no money in it. I did okay at the bank, but here it wasn't any money. But my lifestyle elevated to a point where I really enjoyed what I was doing, raising my son, being outside, farming, working on the machines, doing all that kind of stuff. And then over the years, it, it turned into more of a full-time deal. I kind of gravitated to it 100%. Uh, we bought some more land, developed some more vineyards, which we recently planted the Cabernet. So we're actually farming mm -hmm. some Cabernet now and a little bit of Cabernet Franc, which is going to be really exciting. Nice. But the whole lifestyle, um, the whole voyage, the whole Napa thing um, really set very well with me. Uh, it's been a, a, a real good um, opportunity to um, 
you know, do something that I really enjoyed doing. And I still enjoy doing it to this point on that. Yeah. Um, right. There's an old adage in the wine industry that says the only way to make a small fortune is to start with a large one. Yeah. So you really have to be in love with the lifestyle right. to hey, work in this industry. Hey, it's not it's not a money maker. Uh I gotta go downstairs. This guy just drove up to pick up us wine. Oh, okay. A wine club. Okay. So I um, I'll be right. sure about that? Yeah, yeah, I just drove up. I'm expecting him. I'm sorry, I'll be right back. Yeah, no, that's um, it's really interesting that you say that, like the like the quality of life. You know, I think it is completely different when you're kind of working or living in a you know like an agricultural like area, especially with wine. You know, something that I've been pretty um, like interested in is the blue zones. Um, have you heard of the blue zones, where people live to be centennials? Like a hundred oh. years old, and um, they, there's a show on Netflix by uh, Zach Efron down to earth. Um, but there's like five of these blue zones around the world. Uh, there's like Sardinia, there's one in Greece, uh, Japan, and then Loma Linda, and it's basically where people live to be over a hundred years old. But these communities are like really community oriented, and most of them have wine associated with them. And it's just like this farm style, this lifestyle. You know, like work with your family. You know more. Um, like multi-generational people living together and really close and actually that Mensa's Health up in St. Helena is partnering up with Blue Zones to try and get Napa Valley like a certified Blue Zone. Oh cool. Yeah. 100 year old plus people here? I don't know I think that just like the quality of life like farming and food and people Um, so that's really cool I mean I I completely agree with you like it's a whole different lifestyle. Well, I have found that, uh, at least for me personally, uh, being physical every day, working outside, you know, with your hands and your back and all that kind of stuff, even though it's hard work, I think there's a a quality to it that helps improve your physical being. Mm -hmm. And and in my case, it's really good for my mental being, too. I, I I like what I do. I can't wait to get out of bed in the morning. My mind is going all night. What I got to do, what I want to do, how I want to do it, da, da, da. And it just keeps, it keeps the juices flowing. It keeps the energy moving, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, for a lot of people, they think, what, what, what the hell, you some kind of nut? I said, no, <laughs> I'm saying for me, this works well. It's, we don't it's take a, a lot of vacations here. And no. I asked my dad, few months ago, like, don't you want to just chill for like a week, you know, just aren't you tired? And he said, it was so cute, he said, if I stop moving, I'm going to rust, like yeah, my old tractors. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was adorable. <laughs> that is really, that's true though, people sometimes they'll retire and stop working and then they like, you know, they're not doing anything, they feel like they don't have a, like a purpose, you know, or something. My life is a know, vacation, so, my whole yeah. being is a vacation, I enjoy every day to the fullest, I mean, you know, yeah, it's nice to go places and stuff, but at the end of the day, to get back to the ranch and get back in the field, that's where the real satisfaction comes from. Yeah. You know, it's for me. Totally. No, yeah, I love, I was living in, in LA for a while. Um, going to grad school and um, you know just living in the city like I just couldn't do it like a part of me you know growing up in Napa just surrounded by vineyards is like like you know it's like this yep. sense of relief there's and, a big difference know, between LA and Napa Valley yeah huge difference yeah 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 uh, 
plan. Huh. And then how I see you have slot machines, pinball machines. Uh, I'm not sure what else I saw around here. A lot of metals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what what's the going on with these? Will support you fine. That's yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a mechanical-oriented type guy, and, and slot machines have always fascinated me. I've been fooling around with them for a number of years. Um, but, uh, you know, the whole psychology of a slot machine, if you stop and think about it, is absolutely amazing. So here you have a machine, purely mechanical, no electricity, that people will stand in front of, <clears throat> put their money in it, lose their money consistently... <laughs> But enjoy themselves. This it's a machine. Yeah. And so the psychology behind a slot machine, whether it's an antique slot machine or a modern slot machine, it's selling one thing, and that is hope. Okay? Huh. So for a quarter or a dime or a nickel, you get hope. That's, a, that's cheap on that. So people stand in front of a machine. They hope they're going to win, right? Yeah. They're going to lose. You can't win. <laughs> There's no way in hell you're going to win. You're going to lose on a slot machine. It'll beat you every time. Yeah. This, the basic yeah. philosophy of a slot machine is a constant winner is a steady loser. So if you stand in front of this machine and it pays out coins, you'll play. As long as you play, you're going to lose. There's no other way. But anyhow, the whole concept <laughs> of them, they, they awesome. absolutely amaze me. They, they've got character. They've got personality. Yeah. They've got style. These are, these are 1940s. They've got the deco look. Uh, they, they're machines. They've got wood. They've got metal. They've got chrome. I mean, they're just, I, I, yeah. I just love them. And in fact, my hobbies become a passion, and I've probably got way more than any man should ever have, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I like them. You know, we've been yeah. doing some more videos and virtual tastings in 2020 and 2021, right. and um, this guy, he has the best one-liners. <laughs> like, you know, his, his, like, wisdom, I call him his, his yeah. uh, nuggets of wisdom. Go. But we're getting requests now through the website to come out with a line of t-shirts with Ken's. <laughs> yeah, wisdom That's from Ken's, because yeah, they're that. so uh, funny and <laughs> off the wall. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, and then, what made you want to plant, uh, you said Cabernet Sauvignon and Cab Franc, right? So what, what kind of made you pick those two varietals well cabernet is king in napa valley and mm -hmm. we've been pinot noir producers for like my dad said almost 40 years and we consistently get requests for a cabernet right so yeah. you know you replant a vineyard every we we replant our pinot noir vineyards every 25 years because yields naturally diminish as mm -hmm. the vines age and when it came to time to replant one of these pinot noir vineyards uh dad and i had a long discussion about economics essentially <laughs> yeah. and we decided to put in Cabernet Sauvignon um, I begged him to put in some Cabernet Franc and it was a a long sales pitch and in the end we ended up with what the one, hell? Acre. Did it. Yeah. <laughs> one acre yeah. I got one acre of Cap Franc so Thanks. I'm excited about that I love Cap Franc personally yeah. um, Cabernet Sauvignon great I feel like there's so much of it in Napa Valley and I'm just like a huge fan of Cabernet Franc as a standalone bridal yeah so um, I'm gonna push him to make a standalone Cabernet Franc once that fruit comes in because I know it's gonna be amazing instead yeah. of using it as a blender in our cab. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. But, <laughs> but the, other, the other thing, uh, Armando, that we uh, decided to put Cabernet in 
is because um, we're in predominantly a cooler region out here in South Napa. Right. Uh, predominantly, Cab is a warm region grape, mm -hmm. but there's in the recent years there's been a lot of Cabernet planted out here. Yeah. And so to me, it seemed like, well, this would be kind of a challenging thing to do. I mean, I've grown Pinot my whole life. If I can do that, why don't we try Cabernet in a cooler region and see how we can uh, do with it? So yeah. we did a lot of research on that for the specific clones. Um, we tightened up the spacing. You know, we did a lot of mm -hmm. things that will allow Cabernet to ripen. The, the concern about planting Cabernet in a cool region, it takes longer to ripen than you get near the end of the year and you have concerns with ripening and rain and all that kind of stuff. So um, we, 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 we put it in, this year we'll get our first crop. Okay, we actually okay. got a little crop last year, but we dropped it to develop the root structure. Uh, but this year we're getting our first crop. The vines look really, really nice. Uh, they're nice and even and, and all that kind of stuff. So. I think that we're going to grow some good fruit. Uh, this first crop, we're going to make wine, uh, Cabernet, uh, under the Elkhorn Peak label. Okay. And the reason for that is, like Elise said, we get people there all the time and say, we'd like to try some cab. And Napa Valley, Napa Valley is about cabs. That, there's no question about that. Right. So Pinot will always be our focus. It'll be our... our Flagship, right? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, but we're going to make a little bit of cab. We're not, nice. we're not going to be a cab house like so many producers are. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not really our deal. We're going to make a small amount. We're going to sell most of the fruit. Uh, like Lee said, yeah. one of the main considerations for planting Cabernet was the economics. There's a lot. Yeah. Of, there's more money in Cabernet production by a long shot than there is in Pinot. Pinot. If you grow Pinot in the valley, don't expect on driving a brand new car <laughs> <laughs> yeah huh. and this, that, that'd be interesting to see i mean if you do have you know cooler climates like maybe you could even make lighter style cabs yep. which are pretty rare in napa yep. and a lot of people you know right. more health conscious want lower yep. alcohol wines that's and right, right. That's our pinot noir is made traditionally in a burgundian style mm -hmm. okay. lighter lighter right. alcohol so i'm hoping that we can sort of model our cabernet after that right. same Burgundian yeah. model, yeah. instead of the overly extracted, very ripe cats. But yeah. I also feel like the market's sort of shifting to lighter style wines. Yeah, I think so. uh, and even if it's not, uh, we'll have a different type of cap. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll yeah. be great. Yeah. At the yeah. at the end of the day, I think we're gonna we're gonna have some fun doing it, which is yeah. what life's about. So, uh, we're gonna learn a lot about doing it. Um, hopefully make a little money on the deal, but it's a new experience and life is nothing but a series of experiences. So we're kind of getting down to the dirt and saying this is a farming experience and it is, but I think uh, I'm enjoying doing it and I think it's going to be a whole new program. So there you go. Yeah, I love it. Then we'll talk about programs. You're also part of State of the Family Farms. Um, you know, what, what's been your involvement with that and, you know, what, what do you hope? Elise mm -hmm. is safe to family farms. That's very nice. Take it away. Tell them about our, our uh, farms. Well, I got involved with Save the Family Farms in early 2018 okay. and uh, quickly moved into the vice president role. And I work very closely with George O'Mara, our president, mm -hmm. um, meeting with all of the stakeholders, meeting with the board of supervisors. Together, we are writing the microwinery ordinance that we hope to pass in Napa in August or September of 2021. So, right, 
I, we would directly benefit from the microwinery ordinance. We would love to offer public tastings. Right. Um, yeah, in a nutshell, for, for people that don't really understand, the way that the current regulations are in the Napa Valley, to be able to have tastings on your uh, vineyard site, you have to have a physical production facility, a $5 million winery. For most of the small guys in the valley, that's that's off the charts. That's that's not a that's not reality. Well, for the mm -hmm. micro producers, mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about our operation is a one thousand case mm -hmm. annual production. Yeah. So There's no way we would recoup a five million dollar investment. <laughs> not gonna happen. In you know, in a decade of business, it's <laughs> just it would we would open our doors to close our business essentially mm -hmm. if we took that five million dollar investment on. So the microwinery ordinance is, uh, the goal is to set up a right size um, application process for mm -hmm. micro producers. So it would only be accessible to producers that produce a micro level amount of wine. Mm -hmm. And that number is um, being determined now, but it will be under 5,000 gallons of wine, um, which is around 3,000 cases of wine okay. is where that would cap out. And if you want to make more wine than that, you go through the traditional winery application process. Mm -hmm. But, you know, typically in the business world, there's different entry levels, right? It's not a one-size-fits-all approach in business. They have the bronze, silver, gold package, the entry, mid, and high tier, you know, mm -hmm. all that yeah. stuff. Napa Valley doesn't. Napa Valley has yeah. one application, you want to have a wine business in Napa, you go through this single application process. I mean, Yikes. you're talking yeah. about having these producers who make a thousand cases of wine a year stand in line with people who make a million cases of wine a year yeah. held to the same standards. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a non-starter and Ooh. it's been a non-starter for years and years. And for decades, all of these small producers have operated underground. But recently, uh, starting in 2012, the county began sting operations, the state began sting operations. They'll come in, they'll bust you, they'll shut down your operation, they'll take your liquor license away, they'll fine you $20,000. I mean, it's it really wreaks havoc on a small business, so it's not worth the risk to operate underground anymore. So yeah. now you have a, a situation where you have a bunch of small, opera, uh, small producers who have been operating for several decades who would like to come into compliance and there is no reasonable path to compliance for us to follow. So that's that problem um, is what spurred the movement. And it really is a movement. We have about 50 small producers in the Valley who are with us, who are us, who want to see this through. And at the end of the day, you know, when we get this passed, this movement has the potential to alter the landscape of Napa Valley. It will bring in yeah. diversification. Mm -hmm. yes. You will have different size wineries. You will have different experiences. I mean, now Napa's sort of, sort of going towards a homogenous tasting like, experience, like right? Monoculture thing. Yeah, you pay your fifty dollar, hundred dollar tasting fee. You taste through a flight of wine in a big fancy building <laughs> on very comfortable furniture. And you sort of go through the, the cattle car and buy your wine, yeah. set up for the wine club, and move on to the next uh, tasting experience. But there, you're very hard-pressed today to find an experience in Napa Valley where you can walk the vineyard with the grower. Yeah. 
and you can grab a berry off the vine and taste it and you can talk to somebody that tends to the land and ask them questions and taste at a modest picnic table you know at the yeah. base of the vineyard those experiences are hard yes. to find and and you know as well as i do that millennials are craving that type of experience yeah i am yeah and it's not a it's not necessarily like a david and goliath like big business versus small business it's sort of a rising tide lifts all boats right yeah this will improve the napa valley it will offer diverse tasting experiences and it will attract more people so that they can have both the white glove experience and the boots on the ground experience totally i mean i yeah even like sustainability you know i think the you know small businesses small wineries are really the heart and soul of the napa valley and how can you know the economy is built on you know small family farms and businesses you know so also i see that as sustainability and you know also you know you there's so many other regions out there to go you know look for these experiences you know oregon 100 percent oregon washington sure you know the one of the problems or concerns is that Napa is operating on an antiquated business model that has no relevance in society today, in in the marketing today. It's not, things are different, people's concepts, ideas, expectations are different than they were 20 and 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And Napa has to step up and be progressive in their marketing because like you said, there's other regions out there, you know, Sonoma, Washington, Oregon, Paso Robles that offer a very hands-on experience that are less pretentious that are yeah. that are attracting the people the tourists to go there napa's mm-hmm. always been the number the uh, number one rung on the ladder okay it's been the wine destination in the united states maybe even the world but you you, you can't maintain that status unless you progressive in your marketing mm-hmm. and what save the family farms is saying hey Let's open up the doors. Let's offer diversification. Let's offer new experiences. If you want to go to the big wineries, they're here. Come on and enjoy those. If you want to come out there and walk the field and sit at the picnic table and talk to the grower or the owner or the winemaker, that's available too. But the whole package is, like Elise said, a rising tide is going to rise all boats. The whole package, the whole attraction, the whole um, draw to that is what we need to get in the Napa Valley so we can maintain this status. It's that. the type yeah. of Napa that I want to live yeah. in. I want to live in a Napa yeah. that is supportive and empowers small business. Not just for the yeah. wealthy. Right. Oh, yeah, it's, there's a huge economic, right. like, economical gap. Yes. Yeah. The, too, the yeah. millennials in, in particular are really rejecting the pay-to-play model in the yeah. business world. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes that. Mm-hmm. The rich yeah. get richer and the poor right. sell to the rich. Yeah. And um, so you can tell we have a lot of passion for this. Mm-hmm. And it's what's right for the valley. It's what's right. And Definitely. in the end, you know, mm-hmm. that that's really what matters. Everyone should yeah. be mm-hmm. headed to- towards the morally right decision here. Yeah. It's a win win deal. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to win. The exactly. small producer is going to win. The, the um, tourists, the visitors, they're going to win. And the Napa Valley in itself is going to win. There's no downside uh-huh. here. Yeah. And it, you know, the big guys, we can, we can, we can coexist with the big guys, the small guys. There, there's no downside. There's no downside at all. So, uh, you know, we're passionate about it. We're saying this is the right thing to do. This is for the betterment of the Napa Valley. It's all good. And when we're talking about this uh, micro winery permit, right? It's available to people who produce 
a very micro level mm -hmm. of wine. And it also comes with micro level uh, visitation. You know, we're, we're talking about two, three, you know, appointments a day, mm -hmm. maximum, no yeah. marketing events. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's not like we're giving small businesses a pass to operate like big businesses. No. We're yeah, no. trying to create a path so that small businesses can operate like small businesses. Right. Yeah. Right. And the other thing that's really probably very critical in this whole, this whole thing is that, is that I want to pass this vineyard, ranch, winery operation off to my daughter. I want to keep it in the family. It's right. a family business, okay? Of course. Unless, unless it's an economically viable business, business that is not going to happen. It, it can't happen. So the only way it can happen is if we can sell our wine direct to the consumer. On a sm the, the business model for a small producer is distributions off the table. That doesn't work. The, pen the yeah. pencil doesn't pencil. Sell direct to the consumer. That's where you can you can make a nice living. We can maintain the property. It can stay from generation to generation to generation. Yeah. And the whole thing about life in itself is family. Keep keep the family together. Pass your business off to your family, your children, their children, that kind of stuff. And that's what we want to preserve. Yeah. And unless we have an opportunity to to market our product and make you know uh, a return on that, it, it won't happen. So that's all we want. We want to. We want to get in the game. It's an yeah. opportunity to market our product mm -hmm. because, like we talked about, making good wine in Napa is a qualifier yeah. to yeah. be in Napa. Right. So after that, you know, people come to Napa for the wine, but they leave with the experience. That's right. Mm -hmm. and That's it right when there. was the last time you bought a bottle of wine, you joined a wine club, or you talked <laughs> about a winery that you had no connection to, no experience with? It doesn't yeah. happen. Exactly. So when these lawmakers or these anti-microwinery uh, ordinance people come out of the woodworks and say, well, just go online and sell your wine or, yes. you know, it's yeah. not, that's not, no. that's not the reality of the situation. People right. don't support businesses that they, they don't know. They don't know. Yeah. Right. No, exactly. I'm totally with you. I mean, they, there's this whole talk about big data and e-commerce and how everyone should be doing it. I'm like, well, you can't just stick your, you know, your, your wine on a website and expect someone to buy it. Like people need to know and trust you before they buy. And, That's right. you know, well, and here's a here's a point of context. So when twenty twenty hit and everybody closed down uh, from you know the COVID, um, <laughs> before COVID, the average winery in Napa sold eight percent of their wine through their website. Eight percent. That number's gone up substantially, mm -hmm. but what the data is showing is that that number's gone up substantially for a lot of really big businesses who have popped, um, who have pumped a lot of really big dollars oh. into online ads. So now you now you have some data points that say, well, online sales are going up. You guys, this is your opportunity. Uh -huh. But what people aren't exploring is, okay, you're right. People are buying more wine online now. But now I'm competing with big wineries who are pumping $40,000 into digital advertising Absolutely. every month. Yeah. So now when, when I have my modest $100 a month budget, $200 yeah. a month budget, now I'm competing with someone pumping $40,000. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not just one winery doing that. These big it's... wineries are doing that. So you're actually crowding out the small guy from the online market uh, as a byproduct of, of this as well. And what's really interesting is before COVID hit, 
a lot of people were telling us, you know, you never had the ability to taste, so why are you asking for it now? Telling us to go online, all of these things. And we were trying to convey that it just, we cannot sell our wine without direct to consumer access. And nobody really believed us. But then when COVID hit and all the wineries had to close their doors, well then, then everybody, it was a level playing field in our favor. Everyone was in our baseball field and everyone got a taste of the struggles that the small businesses have had. And then you saw all of these trade organizations and all of these big wineries going to the board of supervisors and saying, we need operational flexibility. We can't operate without our tasting rooms. Um, and then you had us saying, well, we, that's what we've been, been saying for three time. years. Yeah. We need some operational flexibility. We need to operate a tasting room. Right. So yeah. I think COVID actually, one of the benefits for our movement was it leveled the playing field in our favor. And yeah. it really got these big guys to understand the struggles that we've been trying to communicate. True. Yeah, I guess they probably they never had those laws against them. You know, they like they can't have people there and stuff. Right. But yeah, it's it's crazy that you know that people are pumping in so much money. Whether you're advertising, like even for anyone to be seen on Instagram, it's pay to play now. Yep. Like you you post something and you know the amount of time that your content lives on there is like forty eight hours. You know, if that and that time is just decreasing over time, there's just so much continuous content being posted and. And if you're not paying for it, it's only, only going to be about 1% of your followers that see that. And that's, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, you, you know, it's, yeah. So it's, I think, it's I think Elise really uh, hit a nerve here when she's talking about uh, people coming for the experience. Mm -hmm. The draw in the Napa Valley is the wine. Yeah. But the takeaway is the experience. experience. Exactly. And we want to offer that experience. Well, small okay. producers in general are just really well positioned to offer mm -hmm. that experience. I mean, you right. met with the Rons and you met with Lindsay Hoops. And mm -hmm. These are second generation grape growers. Right. They have yeah. a connection and a root to like this land. Mm -hmm. And they're yeah. very interesting people to talk to, you <laughs> know? Are. So, yeah. I mean, uh, Evan Roscoe's doing a documentary and he quoted Dylan Ron who said, you know, everybody yeah. loves going to Disneyland. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you ride the roller coasters, you eat the food, you walk the park, you see the castle. But what do you really want to see when you go to Disneyland? Yeah. You want to see Mickey Mouse. You want to meet Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And yeah. that's what it's about. That's you know, right. Napa's full of all of these characters mm -hmm. and the microwinery ordinance will, will help them yeah. come out and let them, let people meet them because, you know, these are interesting yeah. people. It'll very be interesting yeah, very It'll be awesome a um, a new uh, new wave in the Napa Valley because the Napa mm -hmm. Valley has been the status quo for 20, 30 years. And yeah. we're saying, you know, times are changing. Let's open up the doors. Let's offer these new experiences, the new diversified, you know, tasting experiences. Let's let's kind of make it open and fun and interesting again. Not, not that yeah. it isn't, but there's it, it can be improved upon yeah and that's all we want to do we want to participate in the improvement right no i mean you're absolutely right especially i mean in today's era with the younger generations they want to meet the owners you, they want to get to know you exactly they want to right. hang out in the vineyards sometimes they'll kick people out of the vineyards if they're in the vineyards you yeah. know and it's like no oh, hell yeah. we what well, we welcome and if you come out in the Free field, field. <laughs> <laughs> let me show you, you what's going on right take that out. Cheers. <laughs> Yeah. 
<laughs> and what we found is when you get people in the vineyard, they become immersed and they start asking a lot of questions. And then their yeah. takeaway is they learn a little bit about viticulture besides just how to swirl a glass of wine. And it, yeah. you know, the saying in the industry, fine wine begins in the vineyard. So it all starts out in the field. So that's where we want to take it to. Yeah. And they get to say, hey, I met Ken and Elise, yeah, you know, the owners of it. Like, yeah. you, you have to pay extra for that sometimes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> These other times, they're like, meet the winemaker. You know, it's, it's kind of... Sometimes you don't even see the owners, or they live in a different state. Oh yeah, or, yeah you know yeah. they. Oh yeah, yeah. It's really like, right? Yeah. It's not good. But well, what are your well? I guess the questions um, that I want to start asking is, what did your childhood smell like? Huh? Smell like? Yeah. Well, I smell. I mean, I grew up on the ranch, okay. so. My childhood was full of, you know, exploring the creek and walking the dog in the vineyard and dirt. I think my childhood smelled a lot like dirt. Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in the 50s. It was a completely different time back then. It was the 50s and 60s were probably, at least in my opinion, probably the coolest times that we've ever seen, at least most people. But it, it, there's no comparison uh, between today and back back in the day. It was a much simpler, easier. Uh, it was it was it was pretty cool. Sixties were a time to go through. Boy, if you went through the sixties, you experience you experience something that you'll probably never experience again. It was a really cool time. Not not that today isn't, but I can't compare what the kids grew up today and how we were raised. But I, but I, but I like at least I, I grew up, we lived in the Creek. We had forts in the Creek. We didn't have video games. Yeah. We didn't, yeah. my, my mom used to have a cowbell to, rip, to <laughs> ring at five in the afternoon or six nice. to bring us in for dinner. Cause we were out in the Creek in our fort. Yeah. My mom would just yell. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how we did it. But that's I mean, awesome. growing up in Napa in the nineties was also, I, yeah, I grew up similar. Yeah, yeah that you'll never see again. But yeah. we grew up, you know, um, I went to Carneros Elementary. Mm -hmm. okay. So uh, it was lots of fresh air, right? It was lots of dirt, lots yeah. of fun. And go to the A1 market for ice cream cones. Nice. And yeah. I mean, we went to the chef's market on Friday nights in uh, downtown Napa. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a different town, that's mm -hmm. for sure. The downtown area was not anything like it looks like today. I love how it looks today. I think there's a lot more to do today. But you know, back in the nineties in Napa, there was just different places, little hidden nooks and crannies in Napa where you go and meet friends and do stuff because there wasn't rest you know, a lot of restaurants downtown and a lot of things to do. Yeah. It's two very different times and um I guess the last thing would be to, if you wanted to, you know, have our listeners find you, connect with you, meet you, come out here and, you know, help you out in the vineyard <laughs> or whatever, you know, what, what can we, um, how can they find you? Yeah, our, our website, elkhornpeak.com. Uh, all of our available wines are on there. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Nice. And, you know, reach out to us on our contact page on our website. I mean, those emails get sent straight to my dad and myself. And we are the 
man behind the curtain for Elkhorn Peak. So when you when you call the phone number, when you email, we you, answer the phone. Be <laughs> <Being> released. <laughs> and uh, we we love to get to know people. We love to share what we're doing. So we would just we would love the opportunity to meet anybody who's interested in yeah. Napa farming, Pinot Noir, winemaking, you know, or anyone with an interesting story. Yeah. Because uh, I, one thing that I enjoy about this business probably the most is that when people come here, I get introduced to people that our paths in life would never cross. Hmm. And I meet a lot of extremely interesting people. I, I like to find out what's going on in their head. And we're doing it over a glass of wine. Well, what's better than that? It's pretty cool. You got to end with your last Kenism, which is... The one about solving all the world's problems? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hell, when we're up here drinking a glass of wine, we can solve all the world's problems just like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, well, you know, thank you. You know, it's been great meeting with you and this conversation. Thank you, Armando. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was yeah. a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Yeah, cheers to a, hopefully a newer, simpler cool. life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cheers to a microwinery ordinance in Napa County. Cheers to you that. Know? Let's, yeah. let's get these small businesses open for business. There you go. Amen. There you have it, wine family. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe and give us a rating and a review. Make sure to follow Elkhorn peak sellers um, you know reach out to them they'd love to hear from you and we thank all our listeners for taking the time and spending a little bit of time with us and meeting people around the valley as we continue to bring out these amazing stories of small family businesses in our community uh, be safe take care and we love you cheers